We're in 2 Peter chapter 2, if you want to open up there. And what we're looking at in 2 Peter chapter 2 is not my favorite subject because it's about false teachers. We're supposed to guard ourselves against false teachers. And you think, okay, how do you identify a false teacher? Do you have to sift through all the videos and, and wait till you catch him in some false statement and then you know, oh, okay, I gotcha. How do you do this? Well, Jesus has a very simple detector. You look at their lives. If these guys are right, then they're going to live right. And if they're wrong, they're going to live wrong. Now, there are no false teachers in this room. So I'm not teaching for the benefit of false teachers who are waiting for me to set them straight and say, oh my gosh, I'm a false teacher. This is for us. So not only can we listen and tell when we're getting wrong teaching, but it's for our benefit. Because... We need to live our lives right. We need to know right doctrine so that we live right. And so most importantly, we have right characters. We do what's right. We have habits that do right that result in character. Because character really matters. So I'm reading in 2 Peter 10, uh, 2, verse 10, and I'm picking it up right in the middle of a sentence because it's one of these long New Testament 10-verse sentences. Well, okay, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. 
They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They've forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, to her wallowing in the mire. Now, the character that matters is God's own character. And this word is actually used in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it says that Jesus is the express person. I'm sorry, the express image of the person of God. And that express image, that word there in Greek is the word character. It's only used there in the whole New Testament. But what it's saying there is that Jesus displays visibly, openly, what God is really like. You say the word God, and in people's minds, that can mean many things. God is sort of this vague and ambiguous term. It's the big guy upstairs. It could be a guy wearing a robe and a long white beard or it could look like some of the Indian deities or the Japanese deities. I went into a Japanese temple one time in Tokyo and they actually have images there. Idolatry is still there and they're huge and they've got teeth and claws and that's what they look like. What do you mean when you mean God? But see, Jesus makes it absolutely specific. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you know, it's not lawful to make an image of God. Because whenever you do, you're always wrong. You don't have it right. And yet, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the image of God. 
And you can look at Jesus and see what God is really like. He displays to us the character of God. Now, if we are born again of the Holy Spirit, born from above, and the life of God is in us, then we're going to display that same character of God. We should be able to see Jesus in our lives, and so should everybody else. And what characterizes Jesus and what we know characterizes God so that we can say this is what God is like specifically. The word is humility. Jesus shows us that God doesn't really think about himself. He thinks about others. Now, Every good thing comes out of humility. When you think about others and you're generous toward them and you're kind and you're giving and you're patient, all those qualities come out of thinking of others, not yourself. Generosity, love, all these things come out of thinking of others more than thinking about yourself. But what we're going to see here in this chapter is that false teachers are not like Jesus. They don't display the character of Jesus. And that's how you can tell that they're wrong. They only think about themselves. And that's pride. That is the very essence of sin. And every evil thing comes out of thinking about yourself and pride. Now, it's interesting that there's only two ways to think in all the universe. You either think about yourself and you're concerned about yourself, or you think about others. There's no third way to think. And as we're looking at false teachers and how they think and how they act, you know, we can use this to look at ourselves. How do I think? How do I act? Am I thinking about myself? Or am I thinking about others? Do I manifest the thinking of the devil? Or do I think like the Son of God? There is no more important question. Now the Lord is especially going to punish false teachers. Notice in verse 10 it says, especially those who walk according to the flesh. The context is he's referring to false teachers and God is especially going to punish them. Something we need to be aware of. 
they're being singled out for unusually harsh punishment. James says in chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. This is what stops guys from being teachers. Because they say, well, I can't do it because I'm going to get killed. But you know, if God is calling you to do this, you're being disobedient to say no. So you know, you have to man up sometimes and say, okay, God, you're calling me to do this. But then, do you know what it makes you? Humble. It makes you depend on Jesus. It makes you to trust in his blood to cleanse you and to sanctify you and to make you holy. It makes you walk in the fear of God and that's good for you. So those of you who you know that God is calling you to teach but you're stepping down because you say, well, I'm going to incur a stricter judgment. This is how you face it. You say, God, help me. And he will help you. See? But when you teach one way and live another, there's a contradiction there. And funny enough, these false teachers should be scared to death. Because they handle holy things and teach others, but their lives don't reflect it. Now, they should be scared spitless. Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around the neck and he were thrown into the sea. You see, you're not living right as a false teacher, and you're teaching others to live wrongly as well. That is what is going to incur a stricter judgment. But see, it doesn't matter if you're not a false teacher. If you say you love Jesus, and yet your life doesn't match up with that profession, you are leading people astray. Because others can look at your life and say, well, you know, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, he's a Christian, but I've seen him do stuff. So it must not all be that big a deal because he's just like us, just goes to church on Sunday. Who cares? See? Like it or not, everybody is looking at you. And they're looking at what kind of a life you have. Does anything stick out? Does anything catch their eye? And they go, whoa, what's that? See, we do teach others. We do lead others. So it's necessary that our lives and what we say agree. And these guys are really going to get punished because they're living badly and teaching others to do the same. 
And we see how their character denies Jesus and contradicts him. So it says that they walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So do you do any of those things? I outburst with anger. I do that. Especially while I'm driving. And it's sort of a thing in our family now. We catch each other when we're doing this. So when I start talking about Mrs. Jones who can't drive right, all of a sudden, oh, got to stop. That's an outburst of anger. And then what do you do with it? You say, I'm sorry, Lord. Will you please forgive me? And you are washed with the blood of Christ and you keep on driving. That's how you deal with it and it keeps you humble. But these guys, says Peter, despise authority. And pride makes a man an authority unto himself. And he's the one who says what's right and what's wrong. Now, this is not like Jesus at all. You remember that a centurion in Luke chapter 7 had a servant who was sick, and he sent the elders of the Jews to ask Jesus if he would come and heal him. And the elders begged Jesus, says, look, he's a fabulous Gentile. I know he's a Gentile, but he built us a synagogue. This Gentile is fabulous. Please come and heal him. And when the centurion found out that Jesus was actually coming, he sent more servants to say, don't do that. I'm not worthy. He says, just say the word and my servant's going to get healed because I'm a man under authority. And I have authority. And I say to this guy, go and he goes. And I say, stay and he stays. See, he could see that Jesus is a man under authority. Not arrogant. He could see that. He knew that. So look at a teacher's life. Is this teacher under authority? Or is he an authority unto himself and accountable to no one? He says here in verse 10, they're presumptuous and self-willed. Now, instead of seeing the character of God, which is humility, you see a big personality that is bold, daring, even a little bit edgy, likes the controversy, dominating and confident. False teachers tend to be guys who are very, uh, we're in control here. T 
teach with authority. Fine. But then it says here they even insult angels. Greater than they are. And Peter makes a point of saying that not even angels speak badly to one another. Now in Jude, verse 8, it says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, can you ever remember a situation where Jesus insulted the devil? Though he could, but he never did. Can you ever remember a situation where Jesus was offensive or snarky or upset? You know, love is not rude. But when you see a leader, a teacher who is rude, look out. Because he is not displaying that character of God. And that's a dead giveaway. That's not Jesus. Now, Peter says, these guys are like animals. Unreasoning. Lower than men because they don't operate by reason. Now, did you know that sin is not controlled by reason? You don't sit down with yourself and lecture yourself about how you ought to do this and you ought not to do that. Have you ever tried it? Has it ever worked? Ever? No, because you can actually watch yourself go through sin and say, you know what? This is against God. This is not good. This is not going to end good. But you still watch yourself going through it. And you talk to yourself to say, hey, stop this. This isn't a good idea. But you're powerless. Have you ever felt that? Yes, yes? I'm getting too many amens around here. <laughs> but isn't it funny that you can't even reason with yourself? Because sin is unreasonable. You can't talk yourself out. The only one who can deal with sin effectively is Jesus. And he deals with sin effectively by putting it to death. Anything less than that is ineffectual. The cross is the only way to deal with sin. So, you only control sin by receiving Christ as your Savior and abiding in Christ. Fellowship with Him. Having a real connection and relationship with Jesus. And anything less is a joke. You're fooling yourself. Now, these men don't have fellowship with God. And we'll see later, they have broken that fellowship. And because they're not in relationship with God, they live lower than people, like animals. Because animals don't worry about the morality of their actions. 
do you think it's a good thing that I'm about to eat this roadkill? Says the animal to himself. Just, what kind of an animal was this before it got hit by the car? Is this really right? You don't catch animals wondering, you know, the birds, I need to go to the bathroom. Should I do that over this car or not over this car? <laughs> the bird says, hey, I'm free. <laughs> it has a wonderful life. And then you, you talk about the morality. Animals don't worry about this kind of thing. And when you ignore God and don't have a relationship with him, you're living below what you are. You're living like an animal. And he says here that they receive the wages of unrighteousness. Now, the wages of sin is death. And that is eternal separation from God. And that is lower than being human. That is not why God created us, so that we could stay distant from him. And to be distant from him and not to receive Jesus is to be dead, even while you exist. And if that persists until your death, then you will be eternally separated from God. And that is hell. And there is hell on earth. And yet that can be overcome by receiving Christ. Now these guys party during the day. Did you notice that? They counted a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. That this is... This is worse than Gentiles because even a good Gentile knows you party at night because you're working during the day. But these guys party out of bounds. And he says they're like spots and blemishes. Now a spot doesn't add anything to your life at all. You ever notice that? There's no such thing as a creative artistic spot. Gee, I wish I could drop my food on my clothing in such an artistic manner like you. Hey, that's art. No, it's never appropriate to have spots and stains on your clothing any more than it is nice to have a dent in your car. You ever had a nice dent? Did you ever say, wow, what a great dent, boy. I ought to run into Porsches more often. <laughs> Dents add nothing to your car. They only take away from your car. And a spot only takes away from your appearance. Do you get that? So these teachers add nothing to your life at all. They only take away from you. They make you lose value, just like a dent makes your car lose value. And false teachers do not direct you to holiness and humility. They make you more lost 
less value. And they distract you from following Jesus to following your own lusts. Now, you know, the effect of false teaching is to make you think in more in terms of yourself. And you know, this is how people evaluate churches. They don't evaluate it in terms of, does this church keep me in fellowship with God? Because that's what a church is for. You're in fellowship with God, you're in fellowship with other. But false teaching makes people think about church in a sense like, what can this church do for me? Do I like the worship? Or does it leave me cold? Eh, I don't care about the worship. And is this guy helping me with my problems? Because I want to get my problems dealt with. And if the teaching doesn't really help me with my problems, then I think I'll look for something else. And we grade a church depending on, does it do anything for me? Are the people nice that I want to hang with? Do they make me feel good about myself or it is a bunch of losers? Because I don't want to hang with losers. They make you a loser. Not for me, man. I want to be in a place where all the cars in the park, car park look nice. Isn't that a funny thing to think? I want to be in a church that serves me. I want to be in a church that benefits me. But you don't think about, oh, I'm here to benefit others. It's just a funny way of looking at it. Do you think when you come to church, I want to benefit somebody today in Jesus' name? That's the way Jesus comes to church, you see. He says they entice unstable souls. That means people that are immature and not discipled and not taught. Because if they knew better, they would listen to a guy teaching about your best life now and say, what? God only wants me healthy and prosperous? And nothing about suffering? Nothing about the cross? Nothing about laying down your life to benefit others? See, a better taught person would come into a church like that and say, this guy has nothing to teach me, man. I want to know God. God is the one who actually came to earth and laid down his life for me. That's what I got to know, not how to maximize my investment. So false teachers prey on vulnerable believers who aren't able to defend themselves. He says, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. That's greed. And here's the problem. If you're not in a real relationship with Jesus, you cannot be satisfied. 
And you have to look for your satisfaction in things that cannot satisfy. And so it's always going to be this thing of, I need more. I need something else. There's something out there I got to get because then I'll be satisfied. And you know, that's what everybody in the world is trying to do. A steady diet of acquisition. Listen, Amazon did not get there by accident. They're going right to your need. You need another acquisition. And as long as you keep a steady diet of acquisition, you can maintain the illusion that you're satisfied. And so, these false teachers sort of get you thinking the same way. You need to be prosperous. Just keep acquiring. Just keep longing for something to satisfy you, all the while missing the real thing. You know, if you save your life, you're going to lose it, said Jesus. And if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. In some ways, it's a lot cheaper because you're not buying a lot of stuff. But in other ways, it's more expensive because you need to lose your life once and for all. And that's expensive, isn't it? False teachers betray the fact that they are not satisfied by their greed. Because it's always more. An abundance of money and possessions and having your own private jet does not touch the inner need of the heart. No, th no thing can satisfy. So these guys aren't satisfied because they have broken relationship with Jesus. Notice Peter calls them accursed children. That's not like Jesus. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's not pleased by these guys. They're not acting like God's children. They're acting like Ill illegitimate children because they don't accept discipline from their Father who is in heaven. And the, and the really scary thing about being illegitimate is that illegitimate children do not inherit. They are disinherited. They're kicked out of the house. They don't stay in the house forever. But a son abides in the house forever. And the key to being a son is accepting the discipline, submitting to the Father. And he says, these guys are actually like Balaam. Balaam is really a weird, interesting character because he's a prophet who knew God. And even Balak, king of Moab, who hired Balaam, says, you, when you curse somebody, they're cursed. And when you bless somebody, they're blessed. You know, that's the covenant of Abraham. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. So here's a guy who knows God. And when Balak hires him to curse Israel, 
God says, don't go. So Balaam says, well, I can't go. When Balak comes with more money, more influential people, Balaam figures out a way to go. And so now God sends the angel of death to kill him. And his donkey saves him three times. And he's beating his donkey. And the donkey says, why are you beating me? Haven't I been a good donkey? Haven't I given you service? Haven't I helped you? He says, you're stopping me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. And then God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn, ready to kill him. And Balaam says, hmm, if I'm not acceptable to you, I'll go home. And God says to Balaam, you say whatever I tell you to say. Now Balaam goes to curse Israel three times. And he already knows that they're blessed by God. They can't be cursed, but he still tries to do it anyway. Now this prophet who knows God is working against God's people and he's working against God. Does that make any sense at all? Now, you know, he knows he can't curse them, but he tries anyway. And he finally found out a way to do it. He tells Balak, these guys can't be cursed, but they can do themselves in. If they sin against God, God is going to punish them. So here's what you do. You get the daughters of your highest officials and make sure they're good looking. And you send them to go look for the good looking guys who are in leadership in Israel. And get these good looking girlies who are high up, get them to sleep with them. And when they sleep with them, they'll teach everybody else, hey, this is fun. And then you can teach them how to sacrifice to your idols, and God will kill them. And that's what they did. And it started a whole movement, because see, these Jewish, Israeli young men who are high up and leaders taught everybody else in Israel by their example. It was the new cool thing. 24,000 people died in the plague that followed that. So, Peter says, these guys are like Balaam, who taught Balak what to do in order to curse God's people, lead them into sin. So he says, these guys are like wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest. In other words, they have nothing to give. Clouds give rain, these guys don't rain. Wells without water, they have nothing to give. 
and they're reserved for darkness because these guys don't give light. Now he says, the allure through lewdness, those who have actually escaped from those who live in error. These, they're teaching believers in Jesus who have escaped from error, but they lead them back into darkness. And they make followers for themselves. They're slaves of corruption. They make people enslaved by corruption. And they promise freedom. But it's not the freedom of the Bible. Because this is what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now in 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, the real biblical freedom is to say no to yourself and say, how are you doing? Are you making it? Why aren't you making it? What can I do to help you so that you are going to be okay? That's what church really is about. It's making sure that everybody is all right. What can I do to, to help you out of that situation? Can I pray for you and encourage you? Or do you need some money? Or what do you need? And then, if I don't have it, I'll get somebody who does have it. But I want to help you. Well, when you're a false teacher, you look at that and you say, no thanks, <laughs> not for me, man. That, that looks expensive. And uh, that looks like death. No thanks. A false teacher is enslaved to abominable things that produces corruption. And that's not Jesus. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus looks like, and that's what God looks like. And you should be able to look at anybody's life and know if they're connected to God. Teacher has to look like Jesus. So it says, they had the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They knew. But then they got entangled in sin and overcome again. Now this is weird, isn't it? Because you wonder, okay, can you lose your salvation? That's the question everybody's thinking right now. Am I okay? Am I going to lose my salvation? Well, here's the deal. Only Jesus can deal with sin. So when you sin, you've got to come back to him. 
Let his blood wash you. Let him sanctify you. That should be the normal condition. So the question is, do you abide in Christ? If you abide in Christ, there's no problem. But what happens when you break fellowship? Do you stay far apart? Do you not confess your sin and admit it? Do you stonewall? Do you say, no, it was the other person's problem? It's not my problem. I'm not going to deal with this. And see, that's breaking fellowship with Jesus. That's walking in darkness. So if you stop going to Jesus, if you stop depending on him, and if you depend on your natural abilities, your natural personality, your ability to dominate people and look cool and edgy, See, you're going to turn from the holy commandment delivered to you. That's what they did. Turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now, which commandment was it? Was it pick up your cross daily and follow me? Was it repent and believe in the gospel? Was it feed my sheep? Was it Love one another. Well, it's all of them. Because when you drop one commandment, you drop all of them. That's the way they're connected. Everything is connected together. And if you disregard one commandment, you disregard God. So they went back to being dogs or pigs. Now, you can dress up a dog or a pig, but they're always going to act like dogs or pigs. Whatever's on the outside is superficial. So you'll see somebody walking a dog now, and they're going to have a little dog sweater on them. That doesn't make them humans or children. And even if they talk to them, oh, no, 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 don't do that, sweetheart. Still doesn't make them human. They're still dogs, okay? Everybody knows this. And you know, you can only stay clean so long as an animal. You can only, and then at a certain point, man, you gotta cut loose and roll in it and sniff that thing that is abominable and just make like an animal. Oh, it feels so much better. Get rid of this stupid sweater, man. Because that's what being an animal is all about. It's just like, yes, this is who I am. Oh, rolling it for a while. Okay, wash me. But inside, I'm just looking for that chance to get away. <laughs> I gotta be me. I've got to be me. That's what an animal, that's the, the national anthem of being an animal. <laughs> And the dog goes back to its vomit and says, hey, don't be picky. It's good the second time around, too. So look, it would have been better to not know the way of righteousness than having known it to forsake it, to turn from that holy commandment.
See? So we got to be on guard from guys whose lives do not match up with Jesus. We got to be on guard. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now you can look at your fruit and say, is it good or is it bad? Am I connected to Jesus or am I not? We have to know this now. Because after we die, it's too late. Death ratifies your choice. But you choose now. So, am I connected to God or not? Are you connected to God or not? And see, the quality of your character really matters. That's the fruit that's coming out of your life. Do you have evidence that you have received Christ into your life and you're born again? You should be able to see that. It's not about being nice. It's about being connected to God through Jesus. There is no other way. So, is there any evidence? If there isn't, lay the foundation right. And you come to Jesus and you receive him as your Lord and your Savior. That is the foundation. You repent of living for yourself. You put your trust in Jesus that he cleansed you from your sins. That he's washed them away forever. You are supposed to remember this every day. Because if you forget that he cleansed you from your sins, you're going to go out and sin. You're going to go back to the vomit. You're going to go back to the mire. So you're supposed to remember that he cleansed you every day. That should be the first thing you think about when you wake up. Wow, today I'm cleansed of my sins. That'll help your attitude. Now, can you lose your salvation? Well, why would you turn away from Jesus? Why would you quit coming to him? What has he done to you? How has he hurt you that you would just quit coming to him? Has he ever treated you badly? Has he ever embarrassed you or shamed you or ripped you off or hurt you? Then why would you stop coming to him? That is the only mistake you can make is to quit coming to Jesus. And you know, these warnings here are real. 
warnings. They're not fake warnings like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to. If these guys broke fellowship and if hell is where they're going, then it's a real warning and we don't want to act like that. We want to keep coming to Jesus. That's how you deal with sin and life and the future is come to Jesus. So what we want to do then is grow in that. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that the character of God is visible in us. And that means the cross of Christ, death to ourselves, and the resurrection of Christ. Walking and living in new life. Now you know, not by might shall a man prevail. That's what we read today. Well, we didn't read that. But we talked about it. Not by might shall a man prevail. Not by your best effort. Not by all your strength and all your wishing and all your hoping and all your trying. Not by might shall a man prevail. It's not possible to live right apart from depending on Jesus. Does everybody get that? Are you continually trusting in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're merciful and you want to save people. Thank you that instead of judgment, you want to give mercy. But if mercy is refused, there's nothing left but judgment. We don't want to live resisting you, rejecting Jesus. But we want to submit you're not an enemy. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. We want to receive Jesus the Lord. We want to submit to Jesus the Savior. And if you need to receive Jesus this morning, if you know that you have pushed Jesus away, You can change your mind and you can turn around and you can receive him as your Lord and Savior. And if you reject him, then you are opening yourself up to judgment and punishment. You can pray and say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. 
I know that I depend upon myself. I depend upon my own righteousness. I want to turn away from that and look to you. You died in my place to take away my sins. And you rose from the dead to give me new life. And I receive you in my heart as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. And from this day on, I want to live for you. Please forgive me of all my sins. Please wash me and make me holy. Please save me. If you prayed that prayer, then let me know after the meeting. And for the rest of us, Lord, please live within us and make us holy. Help us to live right. Help us to be an example of those who believe to everybody. Thank you for washing us of our sins. Make us men and women after your own heart. And we trust you to do that. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.